Hey, hey, you. Yeah, it's Ian and Carrie. Hey, before we get into things, we're jumping in again. Uh, we have pre-recorded these episodes, but from time to time, we like to check in and want to thank everybody for supporting Last Stop Penn Station. This is going to be episode eight, Carrie. I can't believe we're at eight already. And I just want to say, in honor of the camel, how are you? <laughs> I still think the camel might have been Bella Lugosi. <laughs> we have a lot of Bella Lugosi. But we also have, yes, and, and thank you, everybody. We've been overwhelmed and we appreciate it. It's really cool. It's gratifying. Uh, this is just a, I don't know what to call it, a vanity project. It's just something that, you know, we wanted to do and, uh, and I wanted to do. And thanks to Ian and thanks to AJ, uh, we're getting this done. And uh, we have some merch. There's been a tremendous outcry for merchandise. Yeah. We have the wonderful Hail the Camel, he eats breakfast t-shirt, ProWrestlingTees.com. Search for Last Stop Penn Station. It was up there it was up there with our friends from AEW. It was one of the top sellers with uh, Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. Yeah. So that was pretty neat. That's right. And, of course, the Last Stop Penn Station uh, logo shirt. There's a few varieties of them. So if you'd like to get one, we'd, we'd be happy to see you sporting one of these. And uh, we're going to finish up. My the my adventure in Puerto Rico. There'll be more in future episodes, but we're going to finish up the uh, pretty much what the wind up. The wind up, and and in, in uh, the fifties and sixties, the wind up was the main event of a wrestling That's card. Right. So we uh, thank you for listening to the previous two episodes. This is the thrilling grand finale of Carrie's adventures in Puerto Rico. We invite you to leave a five star review on iTunes. We're up into the 50s. We're trying to march to 75. Maybe we'll be there by the time this comes out. And when we get to 75, we're going to release Carrie's time at Empire Industries. With Belly Mel. With Belly Mel. (laughs) So that's a story you don't want to miss. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you at the end of the episode. Welcome, one and all, to Last Stop Penn Station podcast featuring Carrie Silken and Ian Riccoboni. They dive deep into Carrie's wealth of stories, and no subject is off limits. From the world of wrestling to his ticket agency, growing up in New Jersey, drug-fueled underground days, hustling in the French Quarter of New Orleans, and endless days and nights in New York City, every story is worth telling. Welcome, everyone, to episode eight of Last Stop Penn Station. I'm your host, Ian Riccoboni, joined by the guest of honor, Carrie Silken. Carrie, it is time to talk about the worst. Before we do that, I must ask you, how are you? <laughs> I can't tell if can, that's... <laughs> can you help me? I don't know. Can if that's... you help me do this podcast, please? <laughs> I don't know if that's Bella Lugosi, the camel, I, or... Uh, Mama Pretzel. Mama Pretzel. They've all blended. It's the camel. It's the camel. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're having a lot of fun, and uh, I'm doing well. How about you, Carrie? I'm doing good, and I, we are having a lot of fun. And uh, before we started rolling, I was telling uh, Ian... And our producer, AJ, how much I appreciate uh, and how much I'm enjoying doing this project. It's, it's a lot of fun getting these stories out. Uh, the camaraderie of us getting together is a blast. And uh, hopefully some people will enjoy it and uh, rate us, yeah. review us. Yeah, and we've been talking a lot on our on our social media. We haven't necessarily said it in the episodes, but we have some incentives for rating, reviewing. We got some bonus content of some of Carrie's favorite stories, including my favorite story, Empire Industries, which uh, we've we've set some goals for. And there's going to be other things as well. Where if you rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, we get five star reviews. We're gonna we're gonna roll out those bonus episodes, which uh, don't quite fit into the categories of uh, places people or things yeah everybody will want to hear the story when i was desperate for a job and pre full-time ticket scalping and i'd had some uh experience with sales and these telephone rooms you know 
newspaper sales that were relatively legitimate. And uh, I don't know if there's a movie called Boiler Room. Yes. And a boiler, which with Danny DeVito's in it. But, uh, and I also had door to door. Uh, canvassing experience. Wow. Some t- there's another movie called Tin Men, oh, okay. which is about the aluminum siding industry. But so I had some sales experience, which led me to Empire Industries, the leader, <laughs> the, the leader in the all-purpose cleaner degreaser. And uh, we're going to tell you more about that on our bonus episode. Absolutely. And that's uh, we'll have some incentives. Follow us at Last Stop Penn Station to get all the details. But I'll tell you what, the way to get there is to do to leave five star reviews on iTunes and Carrie. Uh, we talked about the worst and I'm going to, I'm going to bring us back to our last episode where, you know, not only did we talk about the, the one last shot to meet with, uh, Victor Quinones, but also <laughs> I can't even say his name, pig face Stanley and, and, uh, well, Pigface Stanley and his little sons, the baboon, yeah. little Scotty, um, which were the, which were the worst and. We're going to try to get to them, but I've, I've been bubbling, bubbling yeah, to finish this, anticipation. this, this business. <laughs> you know, the magazine Lucha Libre de Puerto Rico could have could have kept going. We had one of the three pieces of the puzzle was working really well. There was actually four pieces of the puzzle if you include advertising. Mm-hmm. And which Buttman for those for those love well just to remind I'm just reminding I'm getting us back on track reminding everybody that Buttman was an advertiser right with the Buttman and the uh, the, the tattoo places and the uh, the little uh, restaurant that advertised with us <clears throat> but uh, it's hard uh, Palermo was it was a miracle that Palermo was able to get these people but um, he did but they, they were small. Just little fees. We didn't charge a lot of money. And uh, so we had, but the magazine sales on the newsstands were fabulous. Uh, issue three was a record sales. There was no chance with Jovica and Cologne and the WWC after uh, get, getting, after we got thrown out. Mike G almost got us killed the next time, mm-hmm. bringing up uh, uh, the things you shouldn't talk about in Puerto Rico regarding uh, Bruiser Brody. So, and thank thank goodness for Kurt Henning who who really uh, set everybody on the right track there in the locker room. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so, by the way, after that happened, and we're going to get to this meeting with with uh, Victor Quinones. Uh, after that happened, they did. I don't know if welcome is the right word, but we were allowed back and uh, we went to another show. There's no real story of any uh, great gravitas, but they wouldn't (laughs) sell the magazines there for us. And they they used to draw very well. They had a connection. Both both companies had connections with, uh, you know, all the years Cologne was around and Jovica, there were certain guys like Abdullah, mm-hmm. uh, certain WWE guys that would work with them. But Kenyonis, and I'm surprised you didn't bring this up with all your great uh, knowledge of pro wrestling, but the IWA, Victor Kenyonis company, the friendly, our friendly neighbor, right. they were they were a uh, an OVW type company. They oh, were a minor right. league for w- a while in WWE, the, right? Yeah. In the late nineties, so w, the WWE would send guys because they were basically. This was basically. This is an important fact for you kids uh, and anyone else, uh, uh, people that are o- older know this. This was basically the last territory left hmm. that was running four nights a week. Right. And two two of them, two mm. companies on this on this little on relatively small island. Um so they had their tie-ins uh and they would get talent. Uh certain people preferred to go down there, they used to like to bring in legends, like they bring in Gangrel. Yeah, who's who's still a wonderful pro wrestler, right? In twenty twenty. Uh, so, but let's talk about this. So we had we had the magazine selling well. The advertising was men's amends. Okay, and 
the WWC, the Jovica and Cologne was just going to be a zero. We're never going to be able to uh, make money with them or them or them or they make money with us. Mm-hmm. But Quinones and the IWA business was good. Um, this was also around the time that TNA was starting. Right. And Ring of Honor was Right. In Ring action. of Honor was featured in the first uh, issue. Wasn't the first issue. And Ring of Honor was moving along. Mm-hmm. There might have been a crossover period where I uh, was was involved when I first got involved with ROH. But we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that eventually. And I believe but, Apollo from... Uh, from the magazine covers was featured heavily in TNA as well. Right. And as, as we in Ring of Honor, when I was there, we brought up uh, Flash Flanagan. Right. And, uh, oh, there's a guy, uh, they call it, he, he went under the name Chicano. Okay. He came up, he wrestled at Rexplex one time. Mm-hmm. So there was a small crossover. But so we needed the IWA to help us. It was, it was, it was just a, a, a handout. Yeah. All they had to do was take these magazines and sell them. And talk about a, a, a blow to the heart. Talk about a heart, a, 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 a mind blower and a heartbreaker. They had their big show. One of their big shows, this is preceding our meeting, was uh, Three Kings Weekend, which has just passed mm-hmm. after the first of the year. And it's a huge holiday in Puerto Rico. So they're running an outdoor stadium show. 8,000, 9,000 wow. people. I think Jeff Jarrett was there as a, as a, as a guest. Mm-hmm. And um, I go to the show. Issue three had been out. And we're, we're going to be working on issue four. And what happens when I go to the show? I see hundreds of people carrying around issue three. Oh, wow. I'm like, wow, this is great. Yeah. These guys are finally selling it. Thank God. Yeah. Well, guess what? They were handing them out as a Christmas present. Oh. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and this, these these are our, once again, this this might sound confusing to you, but these are our friendly, this is the friendly company. <laughs> so the three or 4,000 issues, it was a 10,000 issue run. Yeah. 5,000 went to the newsstands. We must have given them probably 3,000, if maybe 4,000. What am I going to do with these things? Yeah. Um, well, they wanted to honor their fans with a Christmas gift. <laughs> get and get down on the chili bread in Puerto right. Rico. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus Christ. So, that, 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 that was shitty. And, and that, when, I, when I saw that, when I saw that, I'm like, this isn't going to work. We have yeah. to call this emergency meeting. Was that the moment that you – was that the first moment you felt that it's done, this is this is it? Or did you still have a little bit of hope going into well, the emergency meeting? Well, when I saw them giving away the magazines, I go, this ain't the way it's supposed to be. Okay. It's not theirs to give away. Sure. First of all. If they don't sell them, or it's one thing. But, right. Um and I politely asked Quinones prior to the meeting about this, and he's like, "Oh, you know, but they're they were, you know, those were already out for a few months." Carrie, I'm like, uh, "Yeah, all right, whatever, Victor." Yeah. So we we call an emergency meeting, mm-hmm. and uh, the premise of the meeting is for myself and Mike G to sit down with Victor Quinones and discuss like businessmen, like. Why can't you sell the damn thing? Right. It, people want it. Um, it's good. We're featuring your company. Mm-hmm. All the, all you know, you're going to make some money, all the obvious things. It's good for us also. So he agreed to the meeting and the meeting was going to take place. It was during the week and it was set for like a 7 p.m. dinner meeting. Okay. There was this Japanese sushi type restaurant that Victor liked in Isla Verde, Isla Verde where um, the uh, their office and where Victor lived. And it's a really nice tourist area. Mm-hmm. So where we were, what happened was it's a 7 p.m. meeting. So we're on the beach. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> it's in January. It's 85 degrees. We're hanging out. And I see I'm getting a I'm getting a phone call and it's Kenyonis. Mm-hmm. And it was like 1.32 in the afternoon. Okay. So I, I, I answer it and 
I'm like, hello? He says, the time has come. Wow, like like Lucy. Right. Like Lucy. <laughs> like went, she's ready to have the baby. The time the time has come. I'm like, hey Victor, um, we'll see you tonight at seven. Uh, yeah. and he's thinking. No, no, no. The time has come. Oh. Now, he spoke, he spoke English, Spanish, and Japanese. He yeah. didn't really speak with an accent. Sure. And uh, I'm like, well, Victor, yeah, yeah, we're going to meet you at 7 o'clock at the sushi place. And he's like, no, 4 p.m. Wow. The time has come. I'm like, well, where do you – yeah. <laughs> Come to come to come to my office now. Ooh, okay. What, what his office? Where in Isla Verde, in this very nice condo building, Victor owned two condos. One was on the second floor, which was where they mixed the uh, edited the shows. They had four hours of TV. Wow. Two hours on Saturday. Yeah. Two hours on Sunday. Ooh. So they uh, on the second floor, which was. Your basic condo, they converted it into a TV studio, mm-hmm. and the bedroom areas were used by the office staff. Savio Vega would be there. Okay. Bushwhacker Luke, mm-hmm. Dutch. There was another guy, Moody Jack, uh, uh, who uh, he, he did some work. He's done a lot of work in Mexico and TNA. Okay. He was a graphics guy and uh, I believe an editor. <clears throat> And they're announcers whose names I forget, but these guys would be around. And then on the sixth floor, mm-hmm. Victor had his own apartment. So after that phone call, and you know, he basically hung up on us after so, when he said, "So it was kind of an ominous." The time call. has come. Click. <laughs> like what? So I tell Mike, he's like, "I thought we're meeting him at seven. I go look. The guy wants to meet us at four. So. I know what I'll do. Mm-hmm. I'll call. I'll call Bushwhacker Luke. Okay. Because at this point, I had developed a, a, a friendship with him, so I called Luke up, and I said, "Hey, Luke, Victor called us. We we're supposed to meet him at seven o'clock tonight. He wants us to come over now." He goes, "Mate, don't go there." Wow. He's messed up. I'm like, "We got to go there." Yeah. There's no alternative. He goes, "Mate, don't go there." So I'm like. Luke, will you uh, meet us there? He goes, well, I'm running around, mate, but uh, I can meet you there. I can meet you later, but I'm telling you, you shouldn't go. Wow. I go, I got to go. I have to go. Yeah. So, so we went. Okay. Uh, What, what was Luke fearing? Do you know what was going through his mind? Do you think that he was afraid he was going to set you up or? No, Luke knew. It's uh, what, what do they say? Uh, don't speak ill about the dead, or sure, you know, can you? Uh, Victor Kenyon has passed away a, a number of years ago. Um, wasn't in a good spot, he was it, he had some uh, he had some uh, some serious issues mm-hmm. with substances, okay, and uh, everyone knew he was gay, also. Although okay. he was a masculine kind of guy, not that that really played into it. Sure. And uh, there's story you could ask Steve. And, and if you go to 2000, is 2003 January? Yes. I, I think about how far we've come with gender identity, with sexual orientation. Being gay in 2003 is a lot different than it is in 2020, especially for somebody who's experienced sort of the stigma their whole life. So I imagine that that had to play into it. But Victor didn't give a damn. Okay. He didn't care. Yeah. You know, he, he, uh, he, he just, he did whatever he wanted to do. He was like a king down there. Wow. And he, he inherited a lot of money from his parents that owned the big, they owned a big hotel and they passed this money on to him. And how, and I mentioned this to AJ before you came here, how he parlayed this yeah. into making money in the wrestling business, mm-hmm. which we know is a very difficult thing Absolutely. to do. And going to Japan mm-hmm. and opening a company in Japan. <clears throat> so, but he did. So he was a bright guy, but he, ha- but as they like to say, he had his demons. Mm-hmm. Anyway, off we go to our four o'clock meeting and, uh, we parked the car and you had a, it was like a gated thing where you had to announce. And uh, it was a very busy, it was a very busy condo with very well to do people. Uh, you had to have money to live there. Yeah. Nice, you know, very nice families. There was another couple of businesses that were, you know, offices that were converted, maybe some dentists or doctors mm-hmm. that were in there. But anyone in there was respectable, uh, <laughs> except Victor. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we go there and we're meeting him on the second floor, which is where the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, which is where the uh, studio is. Okay. And we get there right on time and they're mixing the TV show. Mm-hmm. And I know these guys, these editors, and they're like, hey, what's up? We're like, well, we're here to meet Victor. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's been in and out, you know. I saw it. So we're just sort of sitting there watching them editing the show. And uh, Savio wasn't there. I called Luke again. Mm -hmm. He's like, mate, why'd you go? Why'd you go? Mm. I'm like, we had to go. So I said, come on, please come over. He's like, I'll get there. I'll get there. So I'm hoping for the best, but I'm expecting the worst. I mean, you know, Luke's a solid guy and he's just warning us, just don't go. There's Mm going to be something wrong. Well, he was right. All of a sudden, the door busts open at about approximately 4.30. Now, Quinones, he was maybe your height. And uh, six foot. He was about maybe maybe a little less. And uh, he was probably... 75 pounds overweight. Okay. He was a big guy. And um, I knew about his drinking. I knew about uh, use of some other, you know, uh, narcotics. But one thing that I, that he was, that I didn't link up with him because it wasn't associated with him. He wasn't a a marijuana smoker. Okay. But when he walked in, into the uh, apartment, here comes this guy with a giant beach towel around his waist with it tied. He's got a t-shirt on like, I love Puerto Rico t-shirt. Okay. And he kind of he kind of looks like Jimmy Garvin at this point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And he's got one of those Sherlock Holmes style pipes. <laughs> and it's the, the plumes, weed, of smoke. plumes of smoke <laughs> of weed. And he comes in. And he starts screaming in Spanish to these guys that are editing. Mm -hmm. And they're just sort of looking at him. And I'm like, hey, how you doing, Victor? And Mike G. See, I'm used to these kind of characters. I'm used to the bizarre. I'm used to, uh, you know, not proud of it. But, you know, I've been in crack houses and bad neighborhoods. I've been in after hours clubs at at, uh, 11 in the morning where people are telling you, we better leave because we're the only people here that have money. I'm like, mm. oh shit. So I'm used to these oddball characters. Yeah. <clears throat> I'd lived through the streets. I'd lived through my, my ticket hustling with all the, all these, all these nut jobs. So I could process this. So after, after Victor um, yells at the editors, <clears throat> he says to us, let's go upstairs. Ooh. The time has come. So Mike G is just looking like, what the fuck is yeah, this? Gotta be looking He's like a not used to this scene. Yeah. And I'm like, just don't <laughs> I'm giving him, I'm giving him the hand. Just just chill out. So now we walk out of the apartment. We're moseying down to the elevator. And he's smoking the pipe. And here comes a lady with her two school children, probably nine and eleven years old. Two little girls, and she just looks at him like, like, oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh. And he could care less. And we go to the elevator and we hit the up button. He was on the sixth floor, and the elevator opens up, and there's a grandmother type woman, and she's got a little kid, and they're just looking, oh, what is this man doing? And you know, then someone, a guy comes out of the, of the, the doctor's office. Office. Might have been the might have been the doctor who's dressed in a suit, and you know he's, he just gives the guy gives Victor a dirty look. You know you're sneaking up this nice building with yeah. weed. You know smoke it in your apartment. Yeah. Up we go to the sixth floor. So we get up there. The door was open, and uh, there did, were. T- did that give you a red flag? Because that any any time a door is open in a hotel or a apartment complex. Yeah, I guess it was better than Victor losing his keys. Okay. okay. So <laughs> I mean, that's that's quite a jump, but yeah. So we go in this we go into his apartment, which was a sort of nicely furnished condo, nice balcony, 
looking out, there's the ocean. Wow. And there's two couches that were facing each other on with a with a coffee table in between. Okay. So Mike's on one side and I'm on the other. And Victor says to us once again, he goes, first he says, Oh, do you want a beer? I'm like, no, 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 thank. Mike's like, no. He goes, I'm going to get cleaned up. The time has come. So wow. he he goes to the bed to the bathroom bedroom area, and Mike's looking at me, and I'm just shrugging my shoulders. Right. Look, we got to deal with this. Yeah. So I call Luke again, and Luke says, "I'm going to meet you at the restaurant." Mm-hmm. Okay. I said, "Please come here. Please come here." So. All of a sudden, the door opens again. It's not Victor. He's in the bathroom. We could hear the shower going. Right. Well, there was a- Wait, wait, hold on. He, he stopped to take a shower in the middle of the business meeting? Well, no, no, no. This was not the business meeting. <laughs> okay. He was preparing to freshen up. Okay. <laughs> to go out to the dinner. The three hours. Where the business meeting was going to take place. But I don't invite- like, We've gone out to dinner. I don't invite you to come over and take a shower. <laughs> he, was out of, he was out of his mind. Okay. So, so the door opens up. And it's this Japanese wrestler whose name I forget. And it was not a name that we would know that Victor was giving a shot to. Mm -hmm. And um, he says, he says, hello. And we say hello. And he's sort of tidying up in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, Victor comes out of the shower. You hear the shower go off mm-hmm. and Victor comes out of the shower area and he's got that big t- now he's got now he's got no shirt on. No, I love Puerto Rico shirt. No, I love Puerto Rico. He's but he's got the big towel. Okay. And that's wrapped around uh, his midsection. <laughs> I feel like the towel is the sort of Damocles at this point, where some <laughs> something's got to happen with the towel. <laughs> you might have a good. You might have, you might be onto something. So he starts screaming in Japanese at this oh. poor man. What was he screaming? I know what he was screaming. Get me a damn beer. Because the guy went immediately to the refrigerator. Yeah. And ran over to, and gave him a beer. But didn't he just have a beer? Well, he was having. He was having what, did he have a beer in the shower? <laughs> he left. He finished it. Oh my he goodness! It in, oh, this poor man. He finished it in the, bed, in the shower. Oh in the my bedroom. goodness! This poor man. <laughs> so then he starts screaming at the Japanese wrestler again. Mm-hmm. I knew, I understood perfectly. No, I didn't, but I saw what happened. What he was yelling at him was, give me a goddamn massage now. Oh. And he's telling, so the Japanese wrestler is going over to his shoulders. And this is a, this is a large man. Right. Is a large- and he's, 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 he's giving, he's rubbing his, you know, the classic shoulder rub yeah. style. And, and Victor's guzzling the beer. Like a and king. And he's screaming in Japanese, like angry. And, um, the guy's being subservient. Mm-hmm. So he sort of settles down for a moment. This is sort of happening in rapid six, you know, a, yeah. a rapid period of time. And um, he yells something in Japanese for the guy to, to go do something. And uh, he turns to he turns towards us. And as he turns towards us, holding the beer in one hand and his other hand on the towel, keeping it, it wasn't tied. Yeah. Oh. Right? Okay. Well, all of a sudden, the towel goes. Oh. Was it done intentionally? I I don't think so. Yeah. But regardless of your, uh, of somebody's, at least for me, regardless of someone's sexual preferences, to just see someone naked and who's really not that attractive at all. And in a bad state. You, you got to have a good read by this point that he's he's not. He's yeah. in a bad state. Yeah. And, you know, he was, you know, he was overweight. And where we were sitting mm-hmm. in the, at the couch for like a perfect. Oh, like, my goodness. Yes, I hadn't even considered that. Perfect waist level. Wow. And I'm looking at Mike. <laughs> well, you got to because you and, can't look at and, anything and else. Mike's yeah. Like, Give me the oh, my God. Well, it seemed it probably was five seconds, but it seemed like an eternity till Victor, Victor screamed at the Japanese guy, pick the damn towel up. Wow. And he got it. He got it back on. Jeez. So he, he says it once oh again. The first time he spoke English again, he says, the time has come. What? And he goes back in to get dressed. Well, good news. I have good news here. Go, fi- oh, finally, thankfully. 
Luke comes in. Oh, thank God for Luke. Luke comes in. And Victor comes back out a number of minutes later and he's dressed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Luke, because I told Luke's like, Mike, I told you guys not to come. He's like laughing oh. at basically oh. laughing at us. And uh <clears throat> Luke and Luke and Victor go way back. Sure, because Luke wrestled there in the in the late sixties, early seventies. And he, he booked for them in the eighties, yeah. you know, yeah. when Victor basically was a kid. Mm-hmm. But they go way back. And uh so Victor comes out and he's he's dressed and he starts goofing around with Luke. And Luke's just Luke's uh, feeding into his uh how can we say it? He's, he's just he's just letting uh, Victor say what he wants, placating him. Sure. And I'm like, all right, good. We're all going to go out to dinner. This is great. <laughs> yeah, and you're trying to move the train and, along. And-, and Luke's like, I'll meet you at the restaurant. Oh. Well, if this isn't bad enough, it gets worse. Now we have to go to the restaurant, and which was... It was in the area. So where this apartment... This is important to the story. Where this apartment was... Coming out of the garage, if you made a left turn, the apartment was the uh, the sushi place was about a mile and a half just down the main the main road that goes mm-hmm. along like the Ocean Avenue, we'll call it. Okay. So we had our car, me and Mike, and the Japanese wrestler was going to drive because Victor you. was yeah. in no condition to right. drive. So he he's like, the time has come. Follow us. So, mm. hey, Lamb Chop. So, um, <laughs> that's a cameo by the great Lamb Chop. Yes, my, my little cat, Lamb Chop. So, we get in the car and Mike's freaking out. Yeah. This is the first time he goes, Look at this guy. How are we going to deal with him? I'm like, Look, we're just going to just got to put up with it. You know, we'll, we'll, he'll have some food. Yeah. He'll be okay. Yeah. And, I'm trying. I'm I'm calling Luke. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to meet you at the restaurant. I told you. I go, all right, all right. I, I, said, I wish you would have came with us. Anyway, they get in their car. We're right behind them. Once again, the restaurant is just a mere left, one mere turn, one mere left turn, sure. and straight ahead. Well, which way do they turn? No. To the right. Oh. So I'm like, where the hell are they going? Yeah. So they turn They turn to the right, and I'm like, you know, Mike G's real bad with directions to start with. His nick, One of his nicknames besides Midas is Magellan. Like, <laughs> and I picked up on this immediately. Yeah. We're going the wrong way. Right. Well- Quickly, there was an entrance to the highway, which was bringing us basically in the in the correct direction. You do a quick figure eight. But why is he going this way? I'm saying to myself. Yeah. Well, he gets off at the first exit in the right direction, which is good. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is strange, though, and. Where he got off, there was a house where the visiting wrestlers, as well as Luke, as well as Dutch, it was like um, a cottage with a a couple of extra, uh, we'll call them like maids quarters. Okay. And uh, that neighborhood was the exit. I go, maybe he's stopping where where the boys stay, Mm -hmm. where Luke stays. And um, it wasn't a bad neighborhood, but- Adjacent to this road leading off the highway were the were the, was the were the projects, mm-hmm. and there was this very large housing project that was one of the largest projects in Puerto Rico. It was like a mile. It was a mile a, a mile square. Wow! So we're following him. I'm like, where's he going? Well, he pulls on this little side road, and I'm looking. And this guy, and you'll see this a lot in Puerto Rico. We'll have to go down there sometime. This guy had set up um, a bar, like a, a cantina, <laughs> just on the street. So you see this sometimes in Florida. They'll sell pe- boiled peanuts, or you'll see. But this was straight up alcohol. Alcohol. Oh, oh yeah, it was an oyster. How could I? How could I forget? It was an oyster. It was pa- Peter or Pedro's oyster bar. It, I think. I think in the middle they, of public housing. In the, in the outskirts of the public housing, okay. 
And it's just set up. Wow. Okay. Willy dilly. So this is where Victor wants to go have some oysters <laughs> and a few drinks prior to the uh, sushi dinner. <laughs> and, 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 and my cousin is freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And I'm not drinking. And I said, listen, Mike, just get a goddamn drink with him yeah. and just make it nice. Right. So it gets worse. No, it, it, it can't. You're, it sounds like you're about to be in hell. There's no way it gets any hotter. I'm at the bar with the Japanese wrestler who I can't speak a word of English to. So I'm at an oyster bar. What am I going to do? I'll order some oysters, right? <laughs> when in Rome. Right. Do well, what the Romans do. Victor's drinking. And he's now, you got to remember, and I should have, well, not even to remember. You have to understand or learn. He was a, a, uh, a Vince McMahon type character on the IWA show. He was an authority figure. Sure. And he was a baby face. Okay. Everyone knew him. Yeah. Everyone knew him. And, and, and the wrestling was the highest rated show show so this was around by this time it was about six in the evening and people were leaving work and people from the projects or that lived around there mm -hmm. they would go over to the oyster bar yeah. you know have some oysters have a couple of rum and cokes sure and um i see these kids like these uh Teenagers or, okay. or less, maybe. Okay. And they're all coming up to Quinones. Yeah, he's probably a celebrity. He's right. probably, probably starstruck. And I see him. He's, you know, he didn't do anything inappropriate, but he's patting the one kid on the head. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my, you know, my, my head, my head is, is, uh, is everything I've been through down there. I'm like, Oh my God, what if one of these kids' fathers look out the window and yeah. you know, they're thinking the wrong thing? You know? Sure. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking what you're thinking the worst at this point because you don't know, you don't know where this this road is leading. Right. And we were probably at this oyster place close to an hour. It seemed like an eternity. Luke was actually calling me saying, Where are you? Oh wow. I'm at the restaurant. Okay. I'm like, just wait there. He's got us at some oyster bar. Goes, <laughs> oh yeah, that's his friend, mate. Oh, he ain't gonna want to get out of there, mate. <laughs> and you know, during this time, I don't know what Victor was drinking, but he's just down in shots. Is he happy or is he getting angry or a little bit in between? He's, he's, all over the place? He's having a, he's having a good old time. Okay. But and he's talking to these other guys and everyone knows him and he's he's a celebrity. Finally, he makes like the king makes a declaration. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't he goes the time has come. Let's go eat. Wow. Like, okay, good. So we go to this restaurant mm -hmm. and there's Luke and they knew him there. Okay. And he is flying. He is flying. And we go in and he's now he's speaking Spanish to, you know, to, or he's speaking Spanish to the people that, that ran the restaurant and we have this big table. And so it's Mike, myself, the Japanese wrestler, Luke and uh, Victor, of course. And, much to his misfortune, there was a there was a young wrestler. I think his name was Tommy Diablo that wrestled down there, and uh, he had called Victor, and Victor told this kid he was uh, to come over, to come over to the restaurant. Okay. So this very nice young wrestler, <laughs> he joins this. So did, did Victor get any red flags on his part that Luke was there? Because. No, okay. he was just oblivious to everything. Gotcha. Oblivious to everything. So now I want to order some food. And Luke says, Luke's kicking me under the table. I'm like, what, what? he goes, let him order, mate. Mate, let him order. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and Quinones is down like the end, like the king. <laughs> so <laughs> he's ordering, he, he, he's barking out these orders. Well, all of a sudden to the table, they bring out these big trays with salad with sashimi on it. Oh, wow. Very nice, right? Yeah. Like, which, which you're supposed to take some off and put on your little plate and then eat some, eat, eat this. Uh, and it's a nice little appetizer. Sure. So I start doing that. So there were these two of these big, uh, Platters. It sounds like Jimmy's Seafood, where they they take care of us. Right. They bring out these huge plates. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, well, the 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 platter near Victor. What does he do? He didn't take out a fork. He did not take out he, chopsticks. He picked the plate up, 
and held it up to his No. <laughs> he's funneling. Carrie's making a funneling motion yes. from this and with his round hand, plate. He's got salad and hunks of sashimi cascading into his oh, mouth. Oh, my goodness. I, and I'm assuming half of it, at least half, ended up on the floor on him. It, or, or, or had he perfected this? I no, mean, there, okay. No. Well... <laughs> He'd also ordered another round of drinks for himself. Okay. And all of a sudden, it was like a switch was a switch was flipped. But it wasn't a good mm. I guess it was a good switch. The switch was Victor realized how messed up he was. Okay. And I got to get out of here. Yeah. Now, not one word was uttered about business the magazine wow nothing and he he and the japanese wrestler basically just walked out oh no and leaving <laughs> leaving <laughs> me tommy diablo Bushwhacker, luke and my cousin there to eat and pay for everything wow. whatever no big deal yeah so we got we had our we had our meal and that's when I really that that meet one good thing that came from that meeting was uh, it cemented my relationship with Bushwhacker Luke, mm-hmm. who uh, to this day we, we you know people don't speak on the phone anymore much. We Facetimed with him, right? And I, I spoke to him before we did this today, um, but after that was over, and Tommy Diablo left, Luke basically. Uh, told us the uh the bird the birds and the bees okay. of puerto rico and which which i touched on the last episode that if you're not part of the family let's yeah. just say they're you know they're not gonna they're not gonna go out of their way for you and besides victor's uh other failings mm-hmm. and uh you know I, i've been that guy all messed up like that Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm, uh, you know, so I, I have empathy for it, but you can't do business, you know. So Luke was just telling us, look, look at this guy. And I told you not to come. And I was saying, well, Luke, how do you do this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've known him for 20 years, but yeah. But for an outsider to come in, mm-hmm. it's just the way it is. Yeah. And when that happened, we put out, we put out, you know, the fourth edition was sort of in progress. Yeah, so and, uh, just made sure that was complete. That was it. Yeah. We called it a day. Well, it wouldn't be soon before long that you'd be at least a silent partner in Ring of Honor. And then eventually the the sole owner. But uh, let's wrap it up I, in terms of uh, Victor Quinones. You know, I, I'd hate to end on a, on a sour note. Uh, what's your fondest memory of Victor Quinones? Well, he when he was uh, when he was on and he was you know uh not under the weather sure he was a nice guy yeah. and you know he was as, as we touched on earlier he was a brilliant guy to be able mm-hmm. to uh my fondest <laughs> yeah <laughs> is it something we can tell in the podcast <laughs> no I, I don't know if i really i mean he was you know he was okay but sure. you know there was just so much baggage in the way mm-hmm. that uh he gave us an opportunity to start with. It didn't yeah. come pan out. It didn't come through. But I think his heart was in the right place. Sure. But, and uh, when we started this episode, we called it the worst. And I can't imagine the anxiety and the fear that you had at every step of the way in that final meeting. But I also can't imagine some of the the dread and gruff <laughs> that you may have had with Pigface Stanley and his son, the baboon. The worst. The worst. Um, That's the theme they, today. They really, they weren't dangerous. They weren't uh, treacherous. They wouldn't really cause, they couldn't cause you, when I say the worst, it's not because they would cause you bodily harm, mm-hmm. but they were just, you just couldn't make any money with these guys. And they were very, they were very tough to deal with. And you got to, you got to get an idea of what these guys look like. You, you know, these are the kind of, you know, I was bar mitzvahed. I'm uh, brought up Jewish. Uh, I argue with my cousin. Is that a religion or is that a uh, nationality? <laughs> you know, uh, but that's another subject. Um, but but 
Pig Face Stanley was the kind of guy that would give Jews a bad name. Oh, no. And I know, I know some people that years before I got the displeasure of meeting him, uh, one of my ticket broker came out, went on to be a ticket broker friend, uh, told me that he was growing up when he was growing up in Brooklyn, we're talking about the early 60s. He was in the same neighborhood as Stanley. And he said, one day I get off the train coming home from school and Stanley lived like in the next apartment building over. And I see this guy, big fat guy, hanging out the third floor window, like holding on to the ledge. <laughs> and it was the summertime. And the, my friend Richie looks up and goes, Jesus Christ, that's Stanley. <laughs> so what was he doing? Yeah. Well, Richie says, at first, you know, I was a little kid. I didn't, I didn't know why, why is he doing that. Sure. Well, then he heard. He was able to, the, the landlord was knocking on the door. Stanley, where the hell's the goddamn rent? Oh. Stanley, <laughs> open the door. I want the rent. Right? So He's escaping. Climb out the window. And I said, Richie, what happened? What you, what happened? He fell into a pile wow. of he fell into a pile of garbage. Like, like, like just like he is. The garbage <laughs> that he is. That was 20 years before I I uh, had the displeasure of getting to meet him. Um Stanley <laughs> Pigface and and the baboon, they were uh wholesalers and they would take they would take extra tickets from guys like myself in my current state that were, you know, left over these dumps. But more, more so, they would try to dig out tickets, whether it was a concert or if Phantom of the Opera or Les Mis was a hot show back then. Mm -hmm. They would try to dig out tickets and wholesale them to a ticket agency. Yeah. So I would see them around the garden once in a while and I didn't really interact with them. My, 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 uh, sponsor, my rabbi, Freddie the Weeper, he would say, ah, those guys are the worst. You can't <laughs> did, every, did everybody think this? Yes. Yeah. Well, so this was you consensus. You can't yeah. make a dime with them. Okay. And, you know, so Stanley was probably about five foot six. He was, you know, definitely overweight. And, uh, his son, I mean, you don't get a nickname pig face for nothing and you don't get a nickname of the, the baboon for nothing. Wow. I, I just can't get over some of these nicknames. I mean, these are these are pretty harsh. Is there, well, is, for, uh, I got a few Stanley stories, but we don't have enough yeah. time. I'm going to give you one. OK. Most of the time we would get online for, uh, you know, these concerts. Oh, the Who's at Radio City. This and, is going to be a special And show. how early? About tw 12 hours? 12 hours. Overnight? Right. Well, right. 12 yeah. hours. Mm -hmm. Freddie the Weeper had an easy dig. Okay. What, what was an easy dig? Well. And a, and a dig is to have somebody else stand in line for you? Yes. Okay. To, to go dig out tickets. Yeah. Freddie says to me. Uh, you know, I had gone up the ladder a little bit. So Freddie says to me, can you get like eight guys together? I got to go get some tickets. There's a, a new Broadway show opening. What was it? It was Dustin Hoffman. And it, it turned out to be a bomb. Sa Dustin Hoffman doing The Merchant of Venice. Shakespeare, right? <laughs> Why would you, right. Why would you cast Dustin Hoffman in that? Well, he was. Yeah. So, so you got a great name. Sure. The marquee. It didn't fit. Uh. It's Shakespeare, right? I, I think so. Yeah. So he was miscast. Be that as it may, Freddie, I said, well, what time do I got to get to? The, it was what time do I get to the theater? Is that the same? The, it's, it was playing at the same theater, which Hamilton is playing at. Now. Okay. I don't know what the name of it was back then. Now it's the Richard Rogers. Maybe it was mm -hmm. that. Freddie says, well, if you get there at six in the morning, it's okay. The tickets go on sale at 10 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. So I get these, uh, other diggers, which were uh, guys I knew from the garden, a guy like Mike the Bag, okay. a guy like White Pops, not Phony Pops, White <laughs> a lot Pops, of pops. Yeah. probably Baby Dumplings. <laughs> the great Baby Dumplings, like a return to the <laughs> and, and we get up there about six in the morning. Well, there's four people online. 
Wow. And they were, they were as we would call them, straights, meaning okay. real fans. Oh, wow. These people wanted to get the best seats. For Dustin For whatever, because they either were huge uh, Shakespeare fans <laughs> or, or probably uh, Dustin Hoffman fans. I sure. Mean, and it was like, it was a limited engagement. It was like a six-week run. Okay. So- there's these four people and we're behind them. And then another couple of straights come. And then there was another little, a, 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 a couple of other diggers working for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, at about eight in the morning, there was maybe a dozen, maybe 16 people, eight in the morning. Here comes pig face and the baboon. <laughs> okay. And, and they're, so they're, they're behind us and I don't say anything. It's not like I'm going to say hello. (laughs) And so now you're, it's an interminable wait and they only have two windows. Mm -hmm. So when the box office finally opens and those windows go up, uh, the, the first two people online. Now, if you're standing online all night, yeah. And there's six weeks of shows, <laughs> seven shows, you know, like there's- You, you uh, got to know which one you're going to. You got to know which one you're going yeah. to, and you expect to get really good seats. Sure. Well, not on Broadway. Interesting. Because they bury the tickets. So the people that went up to the windows, let's just say for the sake of uh, putting a something, the one person asked for, oh, I need Saturday, November 4th. Please give me the four best seats. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, I could hear them. We got row orchestra, row R. <laughs> they just, they just right. opened this before the right. internet. Yeah. So the person, so the, naturally the person goes, well, what about the next Saturday? Yeah. Uh, row Q. And when you say buried, they're, they're just physically buried? Well, they don't want to or? sell them. They're going to wholesale the good center seats. Okay. Maybe a Wednesday matinee. They yeah. may get, this is just, you know, okay. it, it, it's just the business practices of these theaters. Wow. And it still goes on to this day. But so the, the people are flustered. Yeah. They want good seats. And, and right. the other window, the same thing's going on. Yeah. So the amount of people online where the windows were, it was enough people that Stanley and the, and, uh, the baboon were able to be like within the corridor of the, of the, uh, lobby. Sure. So when the two people, you know, they were up there for like, it's going on five minutes. The people are frustrated. Sure, you're, you expect hey, to get what, the, what about a Friday? Yeah. I mean, you're telling me you got what if, yeah, the I other expect, one, I expect a front row. Right. You know, right. you yeah. can't get fourth. When can I get like, nothing on the aisle in the first 10 rows? How about a Thursday? <laughs> so Stanley, all of a sudden, everyone's quiet. I hear Stanley go, come on, bitch, buy the oh, seats. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no compunction. Now, the guy in the window. Yeah. Yeah. When he hears this, he looks up, you know, he's got like glasses on. Right. He looks over the glasses and I know in his mind he goes, Oh, it's pig face. Oh, you know? Wow, he even knows, even the thing. He knows them. <laughs> you know, who else who else would say something, you know, this this rude? Yeah. And and and, and <laughs> Did he teach his kids these? Did he teach Scotty these habits or of was course. It, oh so no. What happened was the people finally took whatever tickets they could get. Yeah. The next set, you know, Freddie was, uh, Freddie the Weeper was, told me, look, they're probably not going to have good seats. Just make sure you get orchestra seats on a Saturday night. Yeah. Try to get as close to center as possible. Yep. I could do that. I could tell baby dumplings that we can, <laughs> we can do that. So after these people went and uh, my crew's going, there was a couple straights. Well, there was a second time where, um, where uh, the, bab- the, the baboon's like, come on, come on, you're holding up the line. Come on, damn it. Wow. Yeah, and the guys from the window, they, they, they didn't even really blink. Yeah. but They, they were used to this from, from these particular from the, people. Yeah, from <laughs> these people. Yeah. And uh, we got our tickets. And Stanley and the baboon, I could hear. So now we're, we're right outside. And Stanley and Stanley's at the window. And he's saying to the, it was like, a, let's just say it was a 10 ticket limit. Yeah. He's saying to the guy, come on, come on. Can, 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 can you give me another 10? And then give, give Scotty another 10 too. You know, I'll take wow. care. You know, I'll take care of you. You know, I'll take care of you. Was he greasing him? 
Well, his idea of greasing was maybe trying to give the guy five bucks. Wow. You know, and the guy, the guy says, like, Stanley, come on. We got people behind you. Like, yeah, it's come a taste on. Of his own medicine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on. Come on. Yeah. So I'm outside. Well, Freddie wants nothing to do with these guys. I don't blame him. And, <laughs> and Stanley comes out. The baboon's still at the window. And Stanley's like, hey, we've, uh, we've, uh, these cocksuckers, they wouldn't give me an extra set. What? And Freddie's like, and Freddie was always worried. That, you know, he's the weird, he's like, Stanley, get away from me. You know, you're going you're gonna to bring the heat here. You're going to bring the heat. And he's like, I'm going to get back at these guys, Freddie. No we're not breaking the the They're no good. What? They're no good at this theater. <laughs> See, they better give Scotty. You know, not only was he pig face, his breath and his uh, cadence of speech was like in that pig snout uh, style. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so Scotty came out and. Uh, Without an extra set of, not only without an extra set of tickets, but the guy shoved tickets at him for a Thursday night. Ooh. Just intentionally. Yeah. You know, he was there to get Saturday night tickets. Right. And Stanley looks at these tickets and goes, you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> and that's how he's like, this is what, imagine this is the way they talk to each other. He's like, shut the fuck up, daddy. Their dads? <laughs> he, wow. Says, what is these Thursday night? This is garbage. This is garbage. Take them back. Take them back. You can't And the baboon's like, fuck you, daddy. I wow. stood there. I stood for two hours. So when this is, this is how we exited with these two lunatics. Yeah. A father and son. What a duo. <laughs> screaming and cursing at each other and Freddie Freddie had like a big old Lincoln and we were able to shove like all eight people <laughs> including including baby dumplings <laughs> in the car to go get a six pack and something to eat and uh, <laughs> off to our next you know when, when you made the money doing this um, yeah what do you do with the cash the money was gone within seconds okay of I think all I know. The, I think I'm reading between the lines. All, well, there's nothing. Yeah. We, we could we could talk, but we're here to talk between the lines. Sure. The, going back to my initial dig, which I spoke to about with Matt Taven, I never we didn't speak about it. The first time I was ever involved in a dig, mm-hmm. it was for Neil Diamond <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. Was that a hot ticket? It was. Wow. I wouldn't have guessed that. It was like 1985, 80. Uh, really? Yes. This is well beyond and Sweet he, Caroline. He had, uh, it was a comeback tour. And okay. he was, I wouldn't have, you know, because I knew some of the scalpers mm-hmm. and they asked, someone asked me, do you want to make, you know, we want to make like 80 bucks or a hundred bucks. I'm like, yeah, what I got to do? Yeah. Stand online for these tickets. Mm-hmm. Okay. What time do they go on sale? They go on sale at 10 a.m. Um, what time? What time do I got to get there? Nine o'clock. I said, "All right, well, I'll be down. I'll be at the garden at nine a.m. Thank you." Yeah. The guy goes, "No, no, no, not nine a.m. Nine p.m." <laughs> so it was a thirteen-hour, as wow. we discussed earlier, it was yeah. a thirteen-hour wait. The, the going rate was basically ten dollars a ticket. So. To your point, all the diggers, yeah. who is going to stand sure. in freezing cold weather, sweltering weather, yeah. in these disgusting conditions where it, it, there was fighting on the line, you know, mm. there was other crews of guys and yeah. just undesirables and... Uh, you would be, you know, no bathrooms and, right. and it was, it was rough. So the, the guys that would do this were desperados. Mm. A lot of these, you know, the, a lot of the greatest diggers, the Mike, the bags, the Billy blues, the droopy owls. First time I've ever heard Droopy Owl. Wow, shout out to Droopy Owl. Droopy Owl. Um, they, were, they were homeless guys that lived in Penn Station, mm-hmm. uh, but they were reliable. See, when you do a dig, you can only rob someone once. Okay. You know, and the tick at the time the tickets were only twenty dollars, twenty-five dollars. Mm-hmm. So you had to you had to be able to trust the digger. Most diggers didn't get the money in their hands till like about seven in the morning. Okay. If you would give the digger the money at nine, ten, eleven, midnight. Oh, they'd be gone, I'd imagine. Well, yeah. 
even if their intentions weren't to rob, they've got money burning a hole in their pocket. Sure. Crack cocaine was booming mm. or they're alcoholics. All the point is that all the diggers had bad habits. They were homeless guys. And just remember this, everybody. Nobody's born most. Well, I got to word this properly in, in, in this in New York City. These. There's people born into some very unfortunate situations around the world. There's no doubt about it. But nobody was born home. Very few people were born homeless in Penn Station. Mm -hmm. People drank themselves there. People drugged them, drugged them, drugged their way there. People gambled their way there. Mm -hmm. There was a guy, Mike the Bag. He was a nice guy. Park Avenue job. Golf club, house in Long Island, uh, small yacht, drank it all away, drank it all away. And uh, other guys, you know, gambled baby dumplings and drank it away, gambled it away, didn't care about the kids. So doesn't mean that that you're homeless, that you're not. Uh, reputable, right? Um, and there were even some 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 sort of famous homeless, homeless guys, like the great Art Wright. Oh, Art Wright! Art, Art Wright. There yeah. was a guy, Art Wright, and he was. Uh, I don't know. He was probably in his 50s and he would always be wearing, you know, it was a sport coat that probably came right from the Salvation Army and it would be stained, but he would always wear a tie and that would be dirty. (laughs) He had some class. He did have some class and he used to carry around this notebook, right? And took me... He was, a, he was, a, you know, diminutive, quiet man. And one day I just said, hey, Artwright, well, what's that notebook? He goes, oh, these are the songs that I wrote. I go, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, I go, well, would I know any of them? And he says, well, yeah, there's one you definitely know. And I go, well, what is it? He goes, well, you know the song, When a Man Loves a Woman? I go, yeah, by Percy Sledge. He goes, that's my song, Carrie. And he pulls out the notebook and he's showing me the words and his and he had other uh, other songs that he claims to have uh, had written. And we looked up. We We, sure did. And he and and the claim that he made that we've discussed before was that he was from Alabama. Correct. And that his last name was Wright. Mm -hmm. We look this up and to much of our shock. The writer credited, there was a Calvin Lewis and an Andrew Wright from Sheffield, Alabama. Well, did he, was that him? Was it not him? And we looked up the photo of Andrew Wright (laughs) and there's only one, but it appears to be a visual match. I believe it was him. He was a, he was a, he was a stand up man. It was incredible. And, and I mean, that's. It, 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 had he had he waited I a mean, lot of songwriters got fleeced back then mm-hmm. anyway yeah tin uh, tin pan alley right? uh, yeah uh, that's incredible and i don't doubt that it was him at that point so i'm trying to answer your original question which mm-hmm. was what did you do with the money <laughs> it, it, when you got the tickets finally whether it was that neil diamond show whether it was that uh, that Dustin Hoffman play or whatever you were digging for, most of the diggers took the money and either ran off to start, quote, partying, uh, or whether it was the OTB, mm-hmm. the off-track betting, or whether it was going down the block to uh, buy your favorite drug or whether it was starting to drink, most of the guys... The money was probably gone by 10 a.m. Yeah. 10.30 wow. at the latest. Yeah, but that was the facts of life. Sure, sure. And and what would what would you do with the tickets? I mean, obviously, you would assume that the, for lack of a better word, sponsor would come back and collect the tickets. Right. You would yeah. get, right. They would be waiting. Okay. They would be waiting. At, you know, as you would exit the, uh, let's just say the garden, for example. Mm-hmm. There was like a sort of a backdoor entrance near the Hulu Theater where right. we had our convention. Yep. Uh, kind of where the athletes park now. Yes. Yeah. But the, well, where Ring of Honor had their uh, our Festival con- of Honor. Our Festival of Honor. Yeah. There was like a backdoor which sort of led into the a circuitous route to the lobby. Sure. And they would lead you in that way. So you would get the tickets at the window and then you would come out. 
through that main foyer, gotcha. like, like you were leaving a show mm-hmm. and from the main box office. So guys like The Weeper, guys like Mike Mountain, guys like Silent Sydney, and then in later years, not too myself would be waiting, you know, because the the digger would uh, want to give you the tickets so he could get their money. Sure. And uh, the transaction was done. And uh Pigface would be there too, waiting for his, <laughs> his little crew. <laughs> oh, Pigface Stanley! That's uh, of all the the folks we've talked about. There's been some there's been some highlights and some genuine people that I, I wish I had met. Is Pigface still around? Do you know or is he? I, I, I don't know. Is he lost to time at this point? He's lost to time at this point. And uh, when we get to uh, our people in the second series, if you thought that the uh, that was the worst with him at the Lunt Fontant Theater or, or the Richard Rogers Theater uh, and the, making the scene at the box office. That's nothing compared to the uh, I have another pig face story where he tried to sell 300 lousy <laughs> Phantom of the Opera was a hot ticket, mm-hmm. but not if you had it, not after it had been open for two years uh, and you had Tuesday and Wednesday nights and you had bad seats and mezzanines. Uh, and yeah. uh, I've got a good story, uh, which we'll uh, save for season two. <laughs> that sounds good to me, Carrie. And uh, if you're following along at home, we are nearing the conclusion of season one. We have two more episodes to go. We're going to talk about Louisiana, which is the start of your taking ticket hustling career. And as you notice with this, we're we're jumping topic to topic. But, uh, you know, at some point, maybe we'll create a list where you can follow along chronologically <laughs> if you want. And uh, but it, it's it's. A it seems more. to work better this way. It does. Maybe maybe to the average person, it doesn't. But uh it's. It would be very hard to do these in chronological order. And I think it would get boring. Yeah. I, I think it would. So we appreciate you following us along, but we're going to take you to, to Carrie's ticket hustling starts in, it was La- Baton Rouge? With, it was uh, It was actually started in New Orleans. And then it, then I went to, uh, then I was forced to go to Baton Rouge. Yeah. Forced being the operative word. I was forced. So we're going to take a look at that. And then. Uh, episode 10, that's going to be no holds barred. Uh, if we go over an hour, so be it. We're going <laughs> to top to bottom, Madison Square Garden, your journey, your fandom, and then finally Ring of Honor getting there. Uh, we were in the locker room together before the event, after the event. Uh, just a magical night with Ring of Honor, April the no 6th, No one can ever take that away from us. And and nor should they try. Uh, what an amazing event that was. You were ringside the whole night. I was calling that with uh, Colt Caprice and Kevin Kelly. Uh, we had a beautiful time that night. So uh, we thank you, everyone, for listening. Episode 8, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. There's special incentives, including bonus episodes, including ways that we will reach out to you if you let us know you're listening. And uh, be sure to interact with Carrie at ROH Carrie, myself at at Ian Riccoboni. For Carrie Silk and I'm Ian Riccoboni. Happy wrestling, everybody. We'll see you next time in Louisiana for episode nine. We hail you for listening to Last Stop Penn Station podcast. Rate, review, like, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at laststoppennstation.com.